Malkinu, our Father and our King, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive, and the will to obey the word that I hear today in Yeshua's name. Amen. We are uh, in the second part of a two-part series entitled, The Love of God. Uh, Last week, Rabbi Carroll spoke on the topic, God is love, meaning that the very essence of God is the very definition of what love is. He embodies love. Today, I'm going to be answering the question, how do I know that God loves me? You know, in my years of ministry, so often believers struggle with the reality of God's love. Often they feel that God does not love them. They know it intellectually, but they don't necessarily sense it emotionally and sometimes even spiritually. Um, My earnest prayer for each and every one of us here today can be summed up in this scripture. And I want you to close your eyes as I read it to you. And may you, having been deeply rooted and securely grounded in love, be fully capable of comprehending with all God's people the width and length and height and depth of his love, fully experiencing that amazing endless love. And that you may come to know practically through personal experience the love of Messiah, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience. That you may be filled up throughout your being to all the fullness of God, so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives, completely filled and flooded with God himself. Amen. You know, it is so important to know that God loves us. You know, when we came in today, what did we do? You know, the scripture says, right, the two commandments are to love, right, the Lord your God. We just said it in the Vahafta with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? And to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's us expressing love to God and love to others. But how could we first even express love to God unless we understand God's great love for us? Right? It says in Yochanan, Aleph, that, you know what, he first loved us. And it's understanding God's love for us that enables us to express love to him and to express love to others. And we would all say that love is the most powerful principle in the word of God. So how can we express love to our God that we come and worship every week and every day? And how can we express love to our loved ones unless we know and understand the love of God? In the days when the great D.L. Moody was speaking in Chicago, a man partially under the influence of liquor, seeing the warm lights of Moody's outreach venue, staggered up the steps to the front door. Upon opening it, he saw no one within, but he did see the motto hanging above the podium. And it said, God is love. The man slammed the door, staggered down the steps, and muttered to himself, God is love? God is not love. If God were love, he would love me. 
and he hates me. He continued his uneven walk around the block, still muttering to himself. But those words, God is love, began to burn images into his benumbed thinking. A power seemed to draw him back to the meeting place. With the throngs that were now making their way into the venue, he soon found himself seated inside, and Mr. Moody was speaking. The sermon was over. Moody made his way to the door to shake hands with the people as they left. But this man didn't leave. He continued to sit in his seat weeping. Moody came over to him, put his arm on the man's shoulder and asked, Is there something that I can do for you? What was it in my sermon that touched your heart? Oh, Mr. Moody, I didn't hear a word that you spoke tonight, the man responded. It's those words up there over your podium. God is love. Moody sat down and talked with him for a while, and soon the man gave his heart to God. There are many people in this world, and even many believers, who don't know God as a God of love, or specifically they don't know God as a God who loves them. And as a believer, that's really important, what you think. So how do we know God loves us? And I want to show you today why I know that God loves you beyond a shadow of a doubt and why God loves me. First off, God demonstrates his love. We know the familiar verse, Yochanan 3.16, right? For God, you can say it with me, everyone knows it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Right. See, when you understand from this text that God's demonstration of love is unprompted, the only motivation here is that God loves the world, and specifically, he loves the people in the world, and more specifically, God loves you. God is unprompted. God wasn't moved because we were so good or because we were so righteous. No, God was prompted by his own character and nature being loved that he loved us, unprompted. The truth is, that the world and the people in the world have really done nothing but violate everything that God upholds important. Right? So what attracted for God so loved the world? Why was he so attracted to this world which does nothing but violate his ways? His character and very nature being the nature of love. That's important for us to know before we do anything for God. To think that we somehow earn his love, God already loves us. And God loves us and demonstrated that love by sending Yeshua, the Mashiach. The word translated love in that particular verse is a form of agape. 
which is a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. Say unconditional. It's the highest form of love in Scripture. The Greek word agape and its variations are frequently found throughout the Brit Hadashah. Agape perfectly describes the kind of love that God has for his followers, for you and for me. So we're asking, how do we know God loves us? And a lot of us have our own little measuring system. We measure it by how blessed we are, by how much we have, the people we have surrounding our lives. We think that is the measurement of how much God loves us. I want to tell you, you're very, very wrong. Consider this. God loved the world, and his love was so much more than feeling and sentiment. You see, that is how most people measure love, by feeling and sentiment. God's love prompted him to give his his most valuable commodity, his one and only son. The Messiah, who had to take on the no doubt uncomfortable confines of human flesh in order to qualify to redeem mankind, and he did it willingly because God's great love for you and for me. That's why he did it. The only reason. Someone saw a plaque with an inscription on it that said, I asked Yeshua, how much do you love me? And Yeshua said, this much, as he stretched out his hands and died. How much does God love you? How do you know? That's it. The inspired word of the living God is telling us that there is no higher form of love than a love that causes someone to lay down their very life for his friends. Right? Because in Yochanan 15.13 it says, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Correct? But the interesting part of this is in that passage, Yeshua is speaking to his Talmudim about loving each other. Right? But Yeshua came and laid down his life for us, not while we were his friends. In fact, we were his enemies. Our sin made us at enmity with God. So God came and loved us, not while we were his friends that he laid down his life, but he laid down his life while we were indeed his enemies. How great a love is that? It says, but God demonstrates, Romans 5, 8, his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Messiah died for us. Friends, all I could say is this. For this, what we call faith, our faith system, to work and be real, you have to have a revelation of that verse. You really have to have a revelation That God demonstrated his love toward us. That while we were sinners, far away from God, guilty before God and his righteous laws. Before that, God demonstrated his great love for us and Messiah came 
and died for us. And when you have a revelation of what God did for us through Mashiach, your life will indeed be changed. But it has to be more than intellectual ascent, right? You have to know it in your heart. And that's my prayer today, that each of us would know that deep in our kishkes, the love of God that surpasses understanding. Listen to this story. It's powerful. After a few songs, the man of God slowly stood up, walked over to the podium, and before he gave his message for the evening, briefly introduced a guest speaker who was in the service that evening. In the introduction, the man of God told the congregation that the guest speaker was one of his dearest childhood friends and that he wanted him to have a few moments to greet the congregation and share whatever he felt would be appropriate for the service. With that, an elderly man stepped to the podium and began to speak. A father, his son, and a friend of his son were sailing off the Pacific coast, he began, when a fast-approaching storm blocked any attempt to get back to the shore. The waves were so high that even though the father was an experienced and even expert sailor, he could not keep the boat upright, and there they were swept into the ocean as the Boat capsized. The old man hesitated for a moment, making eye contact with two teenagers who were, for the first time since the service began, looking somewhat interested in his story. The aged speaker continued with his story, grabbing a rescue line the father had to make the most excruciating decision of his life. To which boy would he throw the other end of the lifeline? He only had seconds to make the decision. The father knew that his son was a follower of the Messiah. And he also knew that his son's friend was not. The agony of his decision could not be matched even by the torrent of the waves. As the father yelled out, I love you, son. He threw the lifeline to his son's friend. By the time the father had pulled the friend back to the capsized boat, his son had disappeared beneath the raging swells into the black of night, and his body was never recovered. By this time, the two teenagers were sitting straight up in their seats, anxiously waiting for the next words to come out of the man's mouth. The father, he continued, knew his son would step into eternity with Yeshua, and he could not bear the thought of his son's friend stepping into eternity without him. Therefore, he sacrificed his son to save the son's friend. How great is the love of God that he should do the same for us, he said. Our heavenly father sacrificed his one and only son that we could be saved. I urge you to accept his offer to rescue you and take hold of the lifeline he is throwing out to you in this service. With that, the old man turned and sat back down in his chair and silence filled the room. The leader again walked slowly to the podium and delivered a brief message with an invitation at the end. However, no one responded to the appeal. Within minutes after the service ended, the two teenagers were at the old man's side. That was a nice story, 
politely stated one of them. But I don't think it was very realistic for a father to give up his only son's life in hopes that the other boy would become a follower of Yeshua. Well, you've got a point there, the old man replied, glancing down at his worn Bible. A big smile broadened his narrow face. He once again looked up at the boys and said, It sure isn't very realistic, is it? But I'm standing here today to tell you that story gives me a glimpse of what it must have been like for God to give up his son for me. You see, I was that father, and your congregational leader is my son's friend. Demonstration of love. That's what God did. As the Messiah was agonizing on the tree, God could have threw him a lifeline. The Messiah himself said he he could have called down 10 legions of angels to come and rescue him. He had another way out. But God demonstrated his love that he turned away from his son, that he could throw a lifeline to you and a lifeline to me. Before we go any further in this service, I want to give you an opportunity to pray and to ask God to do a work in your heart, to receive the Messiah if you never have. The truth of us is the graciousness of God is unbelievable because all of us have broken God's laws. If you've ever lied, stole, thought a bad thought, you've broken God's law. And the scripture says if you break one law, it's as if you broke them all. It immediately makes us guilty before God. But in the graciousness of God, God says, I'll do something about it. And he did something about it in sending Yeshua. He's throwing you that lifeline right now. And he's asking you to grab hold of it. And if you're in this room and you never accepted the lifeline of Messiah, today's the day to do it. Just pray with me, Lord Yeshua. I acknowledge that I have fallen short of God's righteous standards. And I ask for your forgiveness and I repent. And I choose to change my ways. And I receive the lifeline that Messiah Yeshua has thrown out to me. And I believe that through his sacrifice, my life can be spared and I can be right with you. Yeshua, come into my life. Help me to follow you all my days. In your precious name I pray. Amen. What a demonstration of the love of God was the sending of the Mashiach. You know, I don't think we really grasp what Yeshua did. You know what? It's been so glamorized. But if we would see when, when that time comes and we're in our eternal home, and if somehow in heaven there are... You know, somehow uh, an opportunity for us to truly see what the Messiah did for us. 
I think our hearts, even in heaven, would break for a moment. As we looked at what someone who was totally perfect and sinless was willing to do for dirty and sinful men. Just out of one word, love. Let me give you another way that we can know God loves us. First of all, right, that first demonstration is hard to beat, isn't it? How do you beat that? So think of this. The Messiah of Israel comes, and he comes not as a military warrior, as many who were expecting in that day, nor did he come as a politician, and to that we say, Baruch Hashem, (laughs) the state of politics in the world, to bring his policies to light. Rather, he came as a rabbi, as a teacher, because it would be through his teachings that the love of God would be brought to mankind. As a matter of fact, as Jewish people, we understand that God shows his love for us through teaching us how to conduct our lives and live our lives so as to get the most out of them and live a rewarding and fulfilling life. God expresses his loves through teaching us how to navigate through the world that he created in that synergistic relationship between man and the world that God created. And not understanding those teachings are detrimental to people's lives. So God, his great, one of his greatest expressions of love was he gave us a teaching, teachings to show us how to live our life that it would be fulfilling and meaningful. Friends, look around the world. There's lots of people not following God who are all messed up. They are not finding a fulfilling and meaningful life. They're going their own way, doing their own things, and they're coming up scratching their heads, and they're saying, my goodness, I'm trying everything, and how come it's not working? And I'm doing this. I have a good job. It should be good. I have a good family. It should be good. I have a nice wife. It should be good. I have money in the bank. It should be good. I'm driving a nice car. It should be good. But in my heart, it's not good. In my heart, it's still empty. In my heart, there's something missing. Why is that? Because they're not following God's ways. The scripture says there is a way that seems right to man. But in the end, it leads to death. Man's convinced that that's what I need. I need the American dream, I tell you. That's what I need. I need more money in the bank account. Absolutely, that's what I need. I need my every whim and every wish satisfied. That's what I need. That's what man says. But the scripture says that way ends in death. The writer of Ecclesiastes, Kohelet, said this. That this is the whole reason for life. To fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. To keep his teachings and his ways. Think about it. It is very much like how parents show love, is it not? Parents teach their children the things that they need to know in order to navigate their way through life. They do this because they love their children deeply and know how invaluable proper instruction is to ensure the future For their kids. 
I mean, if I could tell you the countless hours I spend teaching my kids. And it's not teaching in a didactic way. I don't sit there and say, kids, listen to father. (laughs) But I am constantly teaching my kids. Spiritual lessons, practical lessons, natural lessons, how to make their way through life, how to deal with people, how to deal with society, how to approach God. Constantly teaching my children. How often, Rabbi? It's a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week affair, and it never ends. Thus far, and I only have a 22-year-old, and it hasn't stopped for a minute yet. But I'll tell you what, that is what parents do. Is it any wonder that we are made in the image and likeness of God? And that's what God has done with us. He has given us his teachings to show us how to navigate our way through a very, very crazy world. In Titus, it says, look, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us. See that? Teaching us. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. You see, God's love teaches us to stay away from things that will be detrimental to our lives, And our ultimate happiness. The day we understand that everything God has spoken to us. Is to bless us and love on us. And show us the way that life was meant to be lived. The second we get that. And sign up to God's way. Our life becomes a joy. It doesn't become problem free. But it becomes a joy in the midst of normal, everyday struggles and trials. In Romans 8, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our own spirits that we are children of God. And if we are children, then we are also heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with the Messiah. How many of us feel that? That's what God wants. So the Spirit of God bears witness that we are God's dearly loved children. And Yeshua told us that the Spirit would come to lead us into all truth. Did he not? What is the truth he leads us into? His teachings. Before I was a believer and I read the Bible, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense before you have a relationship with God. But after you have a relationship with God and the spirit of truth enters into your life, all of a sudden, the light bulbs start going off as you read the inspired word of God. And the teachings of Yeshua are illuminated to our hearts and our spirits. This is why we encourage over and over again to be in the scriptures. The more scripture you get into your heart, the more you will come to understand the love of God that surpasses understanding. It's that simple. We live in a society, the Western believing society is scripture light. I want to encourage you. The more time you spend surrounding yourself with the word of God, 
the more, the more you'll come to understand the love of God, the more your heart will be softened and tender to the voice of God. You want to know why sometimes our hearts are hardened to the love of God? We don't think like that man in our story. We don't think God loves us. Because our hearts have been hardened. Because guess what? The words of the world don't produce a soft heart toward God. Only the words of God produce a soft heart toward God in our lives. Can someone get me some water? I would appreciate that. Think about this. Thanks, man. Thank you. It's no wonder why Satan tries every tactic in the book to keep God's people out of the scriptures. You ever find that? Man, you're going all day long. You're busy from pillar to post. You're killing it, right? You're just working and working and doing. You're working in the office. You're working at the house. You, you know, you get up. Now it's time you're going to read your Bible. All of a sudden that head starts. You look like one of those bobble head dolls. Boom, 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 boom. You read two words. Boom, boom. You go out. You can't keep your eyelids open. Because he wants to exhaust us in everything else. Because he does not want us to intake the life-giving word of God. Love manifested through his teaching. Enlightened minds through the Ruach. This is how we know God loves us. And I know when most of us think of love, teaching doesn't come to mind. Oh, God loves me. He sent me a teaching. I'm not naive to that. I know that doesn't come to mind. But remember this. The Messiah himself was betrayed with a kiss. Hugs and kisses and sentiment and affection is really not what love is only about. Love is much deeper than those things. We think those are the things that are going to do it, but the Messiah himself was smooched on as his betrayer handed him over to be led to a tree, to be gruesomely nailed to it. I want to tell you, love is way more than hugs and kisses and sentiment. When someone takes the time and effort to teach you a life lesson that will benefit you alone, only at their cost, it only costs God to come and teach us. Right? Then you know that is a lesson and an expression of pure, unmitigated love. That's why people call the scriptures God's love letter to the world. God showed us how much he loved us, and he gave us the key to living life to its fullness through the scriptures. I would like to conclude this message by, taking, by talking about our experiences because we as human beings are so focused on our experiences. Often we come to wrong conclusions about God. We look at our lives as we experience hardships, trouble, difficulties, and conclude that God must not love me. The very presence of these things in our lives validates in our minds that God just simply does not love me. 
There's too many things happening in my life. God cannot possibly love me. And if that's love, I don't want it. God loving us is not dependent on blessings or good things happening or warm, fuzzy feelings or emotion. God's love does not mean an absence of trouble or pain. Like the man in the story I shared at the beginning of this message, sometimes we as believers say this, God is love. God isn't love. Because if God was love, he would love me. And God hates me. Look at my life. And we say that based on the struggles we have in our lives. The challenges. The wants. So does God still love us when things are not going right? When we struggle and go through hardships and disappointments, does God love us? I want to tell you this. Absolutely, he loves you. Matter of fact, he loves you more in those times than you could ever, ever know. I'm going to read Romans 5, um, 8, 35 through 39 with a slightly different nuance in the passage. Because sometimes when we hear this, we, don't, we really don't hear what God is trying to tell us. So I'm going to just, who shall separate us from the love of Messiah? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? So let me tell you what that he's saying. Who shall separate? Does it mean when I'm going through tribulation that God doesn't love me? No, that doesn't separate us from the love of God. He still loves you. While you're going through tribulation. When I'm distressed in my spirit over a situation, over my family, over my job. I start to think that God doesn't love me. That's what it must mean, right? In distress, we're not separated from God's love. He still loves us, even though we're distressed over a situation. Or even though we're going through a situation. It doesn't mean God left us or forsook us. He's telling us, that doesn't separate you from my love. I still love you, even though distress is upon your life. How about when I'm persecuted at work? When I'm treated differently because I'm a believer, they shorten my hours and give it to someone else. They promote someone else because they don't like me for, because of what I stand for. God must not like me. God must hate me. God must be against me. No, no, that doesn't separate us from the love of God. He's saying, even in persecution, God is with you. He's for you. Look at the first century believers. Friends, they were nothing but persecuted. Man, if they would look at their lives and say, if anyone could say God must hate me, it would be them. But they knew God loved them. They knew God's demonstration of love. They followed his teachings because it was an expression of his love. What about famine? What about when I have lack? And I'm short in those finances. And and the ledger is just not adding up. and, And God, you must not see. You must not care. 
Famine doesn't separate us from the love of God. He loves us in the famine. He's loving us. Matter of fact, maybe that's the only thing that gets us through the famine. Is God's great love. Nakedness or danger. All those things that we usually equate to God not loving us. He's telling us in this passage. Those things do not separate you from my love. Yeah. Do you, don't you think he knows? God, think about it. God stepped out of eternity into time and went through, through tribulation and persecution and hardship and struggle and want and lack and torture. Never questioning God's love, the Father's love. Could he relate to you and me? Absolutely. Oh yeah, it's very easy. And the enemy loves to get in on the conversation, doesn't he? And love to whisper in our ear. Oh, if you're so loved of God, why don't you have that coveted thing you've been asking him for? He must not love you. He's telling us, no, those things do not separate us from God's love. God loves you. Even though life's trials, struggles, and disappointments happen to each and every one of us, it does not mean that God is not for us. In fact, these are the times when we need him most and must go to him and seek his comfort and care the most. Unfortunately, it's sometimes when we pursue him the least. But he tells us this verse in Romans teaches us so we would know that it's not him separating his love for us. So we would know those things don't separate his love from us. So in those times, I will run to him. I will seek after him. I will sit at his feet. I will rest in his presence and allow God to invigorate my soul. I was almost tempted to do this song in service. So I'll do it now. And you can sing with me if you know it. We have messianized it. Yes, Yeshua loves me. Yes, Yeshua loves me. Yes, Yeshua loves me. And the Torah tells me so. It does. Yeshua said the whole of the scroll was written about him. So yes, Yeshua loves me. Yes, Yeshua loves me. Yes, Yeshua loves me. The Torah tells me so. The Torah speaks about Yeshua's great love for us. Wow. Yes, God loves us so much that he demonstrated his love by sending Yeshua and by teaching us his ways that we could navigate our lives through this crazy world that we live in. Remember, there is nothing but nothing that will ever diminish God's love for you. Nothing. So, what can I say? 
Three words that I hope you repeat to yourself this week over and over again. Yes, God loves me. Four words. Yes, God loves me. Let's stand. bow your head and take a second to process that between you and God. Whether you struggle with whether God loves you or not, whether you're going through a difficult time that perhaps is tempting you to believe that God doesn't love you or that God has somehow forsaken you, or even this, friends, that we've done such a bad thing that we must, have, we must be the exception because we just went over the line, realized God came for us while we were steeped in sin, hating him. It didn't dissuade him from running to us and lavishing his love on us. There's nothing you could do. Take a second and say, Lord, reveal your great love to me. Give me a revelation in my heart, in my spirit of your great love that surpasses understanding, God, that I would know it in the deepest recesses of my heart. And I would never doubt it, no matter what takes place in my life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray for each one. Lord, let your mercy... Abba, I pray your mercy and your grace, your great love, Lord, that is beyond what we could really even comprehend. Father, I pray that it would touch your people. Lord, that it would be deeply rooted in their heart and in their thinking, God, and in the way they live their life, that they would know that they know that they know that they know the love of God that surpasses understanding. Father, we pray that you would reveal it to each and every one of us in Yeshua's name. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his sweet shalom. Abba, I pray that you would bless your people, Lord, with the knowledge of your great love in this week and beyond. Lord, that they would never question or doubt again. Abba, whether the the earth gives way and the mountain falls into the heart of the sea, they would never wonder for a, a second whether you love them. They would know that they know that they know that their souls would be so rooted and anchored in your love that their lives would be changed forevermore. And I ask you, and everyone said, Amen. Blessing. Shabbat Shalom. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you soon. There's prayer two to three. And for you Hebrew uh, takers, three to four. Blessings.